welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I'm bringing you Adam Tallinger, who is the VP of Provider Solutions with Divergence, a consulting firm. Before we jump into I just wanted to let the listeners know, hey, thanks for coming on back. I have taken a little break from podcasting because of this little COVID thing that's kept me extremely busy at the hospital, uh, along with a new position that I'm in that now has 65 some odd employees reporting to me that also keeps me full-time pretty busy. So podcasting got bumped back a little bit, but I am back and looking forward to keep going here. So thank you for listening. Anyway, Adam, thanks for joining the show. Great to be here. Adam, if you would, that title of yours, tell us a little bit about what does that mean? What are you doing? I know you've got a great history of working with Epic and being in health information technology. Tell us more about what you do in your journey as to how you got here. So my current position with Divergent as the VP of Provider Solutions, what that really means is that all of our solutions are are really provider-based, whether it's physician and or uh, healthcare facility. So really what that means is our consulting services that are not just staff AUG, where we're leading the charge in an engagement, come under my purview and my responsibility to make sure from a QA standpoint, from a delivery standpoint, from a budget standpoint, that we're doing the right thing and providing both innovative and valued services to our clients. My background is as a clinical pharmacist. I started my career working in an ICU setting alongside the nurses and doctors. I moved into the dark side of IT back in around 2005 when the organization I was at decided to make a switch to Epic as their new EHR. In that position, I both put together and moved into one of the first pharmacy informatics roles in in the country. And then after that, I moved up into management and IT and eventually moved out into consulting in 2011 where over the last 10 years, I've worked a lot with EHR implementations and executive advising for the EHR as well as anything to do with IT strategy. And my journey that kind of brought us to where we are today is that I found that the technology in these implementations of an EHR are the easy part. And the wild card is really the people side of these projects. And whether you're looking at the change management or the operational engagement, the communications, or even the culture out there of the organization. So under that, I worked with my last firm to develop a culture shaping service offering. And now with Divergent, one of my pet projects is looking at going in a little bit different direction with culture as organizations look to build out their innovation centers of excellence and or looking at the digital patient experience. We're going to need cultures within healthcare IT that are a little bit more agile, nimble, those that are able to fail fast and move on. We're going to need to change that, the cultures that, that is there and 
build cultures that are able to support innovation. That's fantastic because that's what I'm looking to get at today. I get either phone calls or emails from other CMIOs and they're asking about culture and culture change and that they are coming from usually an operations background where it's, hey, let's get things done. They switch into IT mode as a CMIO and it has a different pace sometimes or just a different culture. Now, as a consultant, I'm sure you have seen good cultures and some that uh, I guess bad may be a funny word to use because I guess there's toxic cultures, but I'm not really talking about that. I'm just talking about cultures that maybe it's just IT can be loved or they can be hated. What do you think are the key factors to making an IT shop that is well integrated with operations and that the culture of the organization is to embrace IT? That's a great question. And I think there's a, a few different keys to the answer to that. One, I think when you talk about having a bad IT culture, that's really where IT is seen as that black hole that nobody knows what goes on behind the curtain. And there's, you ask something, you're either going to get a yes or a no. Oftentimes it is a no because you're too busy or we don't have the resources or the dollars or nobody involved IT up front in the purchase of some sort of capital system and or software. That's where IT is put in the position to be the bad guy. I think the keys to building a successful healthcare IT department are, are really threefold. One, I think you need to run it like a consultancy where you have people partnered one-on-one -on -one with a business partner so you don't have that black hole out there. So you know that, hey, John is my IT guy that I go to for all my needs. And they're not going to send me in 10 different directions if I have 10 different questions on IT. John will take care of that for me. And he's going to be able to work behind the scenes with the right people rather than throw me over the fence to the next guy. It's like when you're on the phone and you get, hold, I'm going to transfer you to this department. And then hold, I'm going to transfer you to this department. That That's just terrible customer service when you go down that road. So if you view it as really that partnership and provide that business liaison there, I think that's one way to help open the doors to what goes on in IT and give them somebody to work with. I think the second one is really to measure performance of IT based on KPIs that matter to those business partners out there. Having your servers at 99.99% uptime who cares about that today? That's an expected thing. It's not, we're not going to celebrate it. And I, I think you're, every time you go turn on the water on your faucet, you don't celebrate the fact that the plumber did a good job in your house. But for sure, when you turn the faucet on and water doesn't come out, you're certainly going to be, be upset about that. So I think we got to measure the right things there. And really what matters to those outside departments that you're working with is that you understand their business and that you that they feel like they're getting their needs met that they're being heard with what they need and you're being responsive and if you can build KPIs around that I think you're going to see that those business relationships grow and turn into those partnerships that you want instead of IT being that black hole.
And then the, the third piece is really transparency. Celebrate your successes, advertise those throughout the organization. It builds up that karma bucket to show that you've done good work out there. But then also acknowledge your failures and communicate back, close the loop on what you're doing from a root cause analysis standpoint to show that we're going to prevent this failure from happening in the future, that we did learn from it and we're going to move forward. There's so much that you just said that I could unpack here. Let me see if I can just pick and constrain myself from asking a million questions. I'll try to ask just one at a time. In terms of KPIs, which ones have you seen that you liked for measuring the success of an IT shop? This is a tough one to answer because it's really going to depend on where an IT shop is in their journey on building those partnerships. I think using survey tools, using interviews and questions to get to, is IT viewing me as a partner? Do they understand my needs and my business? Are they responsive to my requests? I use the word responsive there because do they do everything I ask? The answer to that may still be no, because we may be constrained by dollars or resources or things like that. But at least if you close the loop and are transparent about what the constraints are, a lot of times you can move past that. Get rid of the no's in IT, because I think that's just an endpoint in the language there, where it doesn't open up the conversation anymore. Instead, answer those questions um, of can we do this with the answer of what it'll take to get it done. We might need to pull a couple of contractors in to do this work, and it's going to cost us a little bit more than, the, than what we would have in-house, but we don't have the bandwidth to do it in-house, or we haven't budgeted for that. Do you have money in your budget to help pay for this and move this project forward as a priority? Those kind of answers that continue the dialogue are really, really support those KPIs and the subjective business relationship that you've built with those business partners. I think you're right on the metrics. Surveying is what I have found to be most valuable that until you ask your operational leaders, how are we doing? And I think some people are afraid to ask the question, but you've got to ask it and then identify when they say, I don't feel we have a partnership. All right, what are our steps that we're going to take to try to move the metric? And that has been very effective. Measuring things like how quickly do we get projects done is too variable. Some projects are small, some projects are big, and you can't use that as a great metric. Although people want to see projects, tickets getting closed. To me, that's not a metric. You can make a ticket for tying your shoe in the morning. It's not a metric. It doesn't mean anything when you say you closed a thousand tickets this month. So... I like where you're going, but what I like most of all, what you just said was this yes and as a culture, as a business strategy where you don't say no, it's yes and there's some restraints that we have to consider and it's yes and we can make it better by doing these other things. It is totally transforming to a culture when people go to IT and they hear yes instead of no. Because you're right, we are just typically no factories. We can produce a no in so many different ways. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love the way you brought that out, that it is does make a huge difference for culture. All right, so let me change the scenario just a little bit for you. Let's say you're walking into an organization. As a consultant, you do this probably all the time. 
and you want to change the culture. As a consultant, though, you get to walk away from it. So that doesn't count. Let's say you're being employed. And this is a decent IT shop. They have a reputation for keeping the lights on. They, as you said, when you turn on the faucet, the water comes out. When you flip on the switch, the computer turns on. But it's not known for being innovative. They're not bringing new solutions to the table. It's operations pulling on IT saying, come on, let's go forward, let's go forward. Not IT making suggestions around what is possible. Not being responsive to operations and the needs of operations changes daily. And IT sometimes will be resistant to that change. So um, assuming that we're not just going to send out an email that says, uh, hey, we have a new direction. That's not going to cut it. How would you go about changing culture? Yeah, I think there's, you brought up two things there, and one is IT not bringing ideas to the table, and that goes back to the need to learn their business. And when I first got in, moved from the, the clinical side of the house to IT and moved into management, I actually had my analysts go spend a day with an ICU nurse. So they could actually see how the technology that they were building was actually being used to care for patients. And I'm a true believer in the fact that we, no matter how far you move away from laying hands on the patient themselves, we are all providing, we're all there for our patients and providing care, quality care to our patients because it impacts their lives. Whether you're the person that's administering a medication right there to the patient, diagnosing the patient with something, or building the IT tools that facilitate patient care, or even turning over a room at the end of the day after a patient is discharged, waiting for that next patient to come in. We're all there taking care of patients and understanding our business partners' concerns, where their issues are, and where the what's taking up more time than it should in their workflows, knowing how they work and what their needs are is really that first step. And the management in IT needs to facilitate that and encourage that, that, that relationship to actually build those friendships across departments. From the standpoint of how do you change culture, Culture is really going to be defined by the leadership actions and what leadership sets as the expectations and then holds people accountable for based on those expectations and what they value. It really is what you encourage or allow to happen versus what you discourage and or punish that's really going to drive culture. One of the biggest influences of culture is how leadership acts in a crisis. And I'm going to go back to my days as a pharmacist, and we had a director of pharmacy that we had, and we had a system. This was before all the big EHRs came into play. We had a system that would regularly go down, and we would need to, we had an inpatient and an outpatient pharmacy there. On the inpatient side, we'd gather everything up and re-put in all the orders and gather the paper versions that were printed out earlier. But on the ambulatory side, you needed to re-put put everything in the correct sequence so all the prescription numbers would match up and everything. And that director of pharmacy would stay there and engage in the process, sit down in a chair, 
start typing things in and knocking stuff out just right alongside everyone else. He demonstrated what was needed to get the work done and recover from that downtime versus being at home in bed and having a couple of people do the work overnight. So I think it really is the actions of leadership in times of crisis or on a day-to-day basis that drive where your culture is going to go and what you allow. I'm thinking about my recent journey into my position. One of the things that I instituted was for the analysts to round on the clinical floors, to get them exposed to the end users. And I think I did it wrong, to be honest with you, because now what they'll do is they'll walk up to an end user and go, how's it going? They go, fine. Okay, good. Thanks. Let me know if you have any trouble. That's not what you're talking about. It really is that let me follow you. Let me watch how you're doing it. Let me see how you're using this tool that I built. Oh, wait, I see you're not using it the way I intended. Is that okay? Does that, what does that impact? Knowing your end user's business, as you say, is phenomenally important. So I need to pivot the way that I organize this get to know your customer approach. COVID has thrown me an interesting curveball because I have people legitimately saying that they don't want to be on the floors right now. I get that. And when we're trying to conserve PPE, sometimes that makes a ton of sense. That's been, it's been an interesting journey, but I like where you're going in normal times. Being at the user's elbow is where you want to be sometime. Not talking about 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but getting out there and understanding what they do for a living and how they're doing it is so critical. I totally agree. And you know, it doesn't take long. You just have to spend a little bit of time to understand how what you're doing matters, both upstream of your work and downstream of your work. So have you seen an organization make a significant change in their culture for the better, not a worsening of their culture? Have you seen someone who's made it get better? I have, and I've, I've seen a couple of places. One was a for-profit that really made an effort to drive their project from the, the top down. And I think this culture is one of those things that you really do have to drive from top down, even if you're a consensus-based organization, because if you try to manage culture at a grassroots level, you're going to end up with hundreds of subcultures that all are defining their own expectations. And and then they're going to be accountable to what they set as their expectations versus having one common set of goals and one common pathway to get there. This organization and the other one that I'm thinking of both had CEOs engaged with really purposeful efforts to engage and set the expectations on the journeys that they were going to go on. And both of them also had significant training in change management, or in one case, it was a lean for healthcare process. But to get the message to see a CEO standing in front of your entire leadership at a mandatory meeting and saying, you're either on the bus with this or it's time for you to go maybe look for a different job is a very clear message as far as what the expectations are and also prevents a lot of that subterfuge that you can see where in some organizations where you have a, a huge project that's millions of dollars that's going on, but you have that one naysayer out there that in the past has been able to derail 
a huge project or initiative and is still employed there. That you just can't let that happen with these kind of board approved projects where you're making a change for everyone in the organization. That's incredibly powerful, I'm sure, when the CEO gives that message in that direction. And I've seen it, I've seen that done, I've seen it done very effectively. And I've also seen where the CEO uh, was asked, hey, you're, you, this is a relatively new CEO. He'd be in the position about 16 to 18 months. So how's it going so far was one of the questions asked him. What do you think that's been your biggest accomplishment? And he said, I think I've got the culture where I want it. And yet he hadn't done anything per se that was a public gesture to say, this is the culture, this is the direction I want us to go. He was trying to, do, he was trying to phone it in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He was trying to call it into his direct reports, hey, I want this to happen in this way. But I never really got the sense that he formed a culture at the organization that others felt the same way that he did, that the culture got to where they wanted it to be. Anyway. I'm, um, I'm a big believer that you can't drive culture through silence. Yeah, it, it is something driven through action and clear communication as far as where we all need to go, both in direction setting and, as I mentioned before, the accountabilities. We've all seen IT innovate and change pretty quickly with COVID. And I want to get into that statement that you made in the beginning about how helping cultures become more innovative. We saw it. We all saw it in March and April. We had chat box popping up and we had telehealth rolling out and work from home and all kinds of things that previously was always a no-no suddenly became yes and we'll have it done within 24 hours. It was just on a dime. So I'm not hearing that sustaining though. I'm hearing IT sliding back into their old ways more of, hey, we're busy, don't bug us. What can CMIOs do to help their IT departments be more agile and retain some of that culture of, yes, we can get that done. I think it all has to do with being vocal about it. I think we've all heard the adage of never waste a good crisis. And I think we can use the pandemic as a catalyst for permanent change. I've seen already a number of organizations that have taken their IT departments and in healthcare have given up uh, building space that they had for their teams and are moving to a permanent remote work scenario where they have smaller workspaces that they're they're keeping on leases or owned properties where it'll be you schedule the time that you want it at a desk and it's shared desk spaces or maybe just some meeting rooms and things like that. But I think we've seen the tools that we have for collaboration, whether it be through instant messaging, through email, through video chats, Those tools have shown that we can be more productive in a lot of cases than we have where the latest conversation is who's wearing what at the water cooler. We've eliminated some of that office chit-chat and made, made a more productive workforce. Now, that comes at a cost, too, and that cost is how do we still get to know each other And that work that happens while you're both hanging up your coats as you walk in the door of, hey, do you want to talk later on XYZ? You know, or, hey, did you read this email and what do you think about it? Oh, yeah, I, I read it and I agree with it. Those kind of that little small 
five minute or less interactions, I think we lose a lot of those. And I think there's a chance for, we, we need to make time for those in a remote world. So I think from a, for, to answer your question on what can CMIOs do, I think it really is continuing to push and communicate that we can't let ourselves slide back to the being a, a black hole of nose or hiding behind our desks and things like that. Whether it's the fact of whether or not you turn your webcam on, which I think seeing people's faces allows you to get a little bit of that interpretation of body posture and things like that to know that somebody's paying attention in communication and that's important. But yeah, it really is about keeping that trust or building trust in the folks out there that we can do some things. So CMIOs can take the things that we've done in an emergent fashion and instead of letting things backslide to where we were before, take what we've done and what we may have slammed in there in a rapid fashion and work to say, how do we solidify this and make it permanent and make it solid rather than packing up the tents and things that have gone out there? Let's build upon what we did rapidly and put a better foundation around it to make it permanent. I think the culture of most IT shops is about safety, security, keeping the lights on. And that innovation piece historically has not been the primary objective. It's been stability. And so that's why I think gravity is pulling us back towards the old ways. We're not designed, we're not programmed in IT for rapid innovation like a startup does or like a Silicon Valley new business will do. It's healthcare and we're slow and stable and safe. And that's a difficult barrier to overcome. Now in the crisis gave us the opportunity to move fast and break some things. And it turns out that we still maintained the lights on and we were safe. I do agree with you. It shows that we can have some agility in the way we move in IT and operations, they move together with extreme focus, which is what I think had the biggest impact, is that there weren't 20,000 other projects coming in. They were all COVID projects and everything was a priority one. And I think people did work more than their normal 40 hour work week. Uh, I think people were working 80 hour work weeks to get it all done. So difficult to sustain that, but still, I, I love the fact that we showed it could be done as uh, across the country. It says a lot about how IT can do it if it needs to. I agree. And you mentioned the stability and safety and security. I think we can do those things. And, and really what you're talking about here is that pet project that I, I mentioned about how do we build an IT culture that can support innovation. And part of that is it's not about making an organization unsafe. It's not about bypassing change control or not doing thorough testing and things like that. It's about taking a chance on trialing something new where we're not using patients as the as guinea pigs in there, but we're where we're modeling out new support or new services 
that we can run through, see if they're going to work with a key set of subject matter experts or clinicians out there to say, hey, if we're going to try this, let's go through it, let's model it out, let's tabletop it, or let's walk through it in a time and motion, or let's run through it and compare it against some real-world clinical cases, putting it in a sim center, run those things through quickly, and if it doesn't work, it's the fail fast and let's try something different and move on. But it's if we can still get to that point of saying, hey, yes, we think this will work. That just means we move next on to that. Let's build it out. Let's pilot it. Let's get it tested, get it through the change control, get the right education out there to the people that are doing it. I think there's we're going to see a lot more opportunities for pilot programs and trials that you I've seen a little bit more of go by the wayside before the pandemic hit, but I think that's a good process to bring forward to trial things, vet them out with a set of end users, of course, making sure that they are safe, and then purposefully expand them out to the rest of the organization. A lot of times what I see with people that are doing pilot programs is the pilots, you lose interest in it or it never goes beyond the pilot area. There has to be a good project manager that's going to move it to that next step after a pilot to be successful. Yeah, clinicians tend to have very short-term memories. We flitter from one project to the next. Now, you can drive IT nuts because we, <laughs> we're all over the place sometimes. Tell me your thoughts about true agile methodologies. And I'm talking about Scrum or Kanban or whichever one that, that you happen to like. Someone told me that they thought that was essential to being an innovative organization. I disagreed. I don't think it's essential. As a matter of fact, I think it can really be difficult to implement in IT when the rest of the organization doesn't Scrum along with you. What do you think about the methodology that's needed? Can you do waterfall and still be innovative? Or are there hybrids that you can adopt? What would you suggest for a CMIO that's looking, particularly around clinical informatics? So you're trying to do innovative things around order sets or bringing in a new technology that the providers are going to use. What's your approach? My approach is similar to that when you start looking at like PMI or the PMP program for project management is that those approaches, whether you're looking at the agile or other rapid development programs out there, is that they're a little bit too rigid for healthcare. Mm -hmm. I think the answer to that is somewhere in between. And it all comes down to knowing the priorities and needs of the operational people that you're going to involve in the project. They have, a lot of times they have a full-time job of either taking care of patients or managing a department or doing other things within the organization. And we need to be respectful of that because you can't just close down the shop and send all the patients home for Mm -hmm. a weekend so you can get some other work done. The project managers need to be a little bit more hands-on and understand the work that's going on to be able to drive it more effectively and involve, maybe pull together meetings with the right subject matter experts and those kind of people, uh, rather than just be a box checker on a project plan. From the standpoint of the whether it's, it's lean or the scrums or agile, I think we need to take the elements that work and that move things forward quickly 
and ignore the other pieces and really build out what's going to work for healthcare. Yeah, I agree. Adam, thank you. This has been a great conversation. I really wanted to get someone on the show who understood culture and understood the change management that goes along with it. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, follow up on some of your ideas, what's the best way to connect? Email is probably the best way to connect, and it's adam.talinger, T-A-L-I-N-G-E-R, at divergent.com. And divergent is D-I-V-U-R-G-E-N-T. Fantastic. Uh, thanks again, Adam. Appreciate it. That's our show for today. You've been listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn and send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.